you know, we, we wake up every day, we, we don't realize we're taking it for granted that we can even walk, you know? When I had my surgery, I couldn't get out of my bed for three days. And I realized that just to get up and be able to walk, something so simple, like as cliche as it sounds, Chris, it really is, a, um, it's a blessing, you know? Uh, I also learned that your purpose actually changes. It can change throughout your life. And my purpose has changed in the last five, six years since I've married my, my wife. But you're asking really great questions, Chris. Next time I have to like take out a notepad, write it down, think about it for a few days before I jump on the podcast. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Sagan Experience, the show where we explore life stories that help you become the absolute best version of yourself. Today, I am joined by Elliot Lee. Elliot is the CEO and co-founder of the Lean on Elliot Group, a luxury real estate firm based in Miami, having done over $1 billion in sales. That's $1 billion with a B. With Elliot having done over $200 million in sales, Elliot is originally from Taiwan, but also grew up in Los Angeles and Shanghai, now based in Miami. Elliot, welcome to the show. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate it, man. Nice to be on here. Absolutely. So I wanted to give the viewers and listeners out there a little bit of context quickly on, on how we met, because I think it's uh, a bit of an interesting story. So there's this uh, conference in Vegas every year called Thrive, uh, Make Money Matter. And it's for entrepreneurs and business owners. Uh, there's all kinds of speakers, motivational speakers uh, from real estate, people having grown, you know, really huge businesses. Uh, but what I really love about that conference is it's not only teaching you how to kind of like make money and build your wealth, but also finding ways to really leverage those assets and that wealth to give back and truly make an impact. Uh, so I met Elliot at that conference. I... Uh, Randomly, I think sat next to you one day. I'm super like introverted and like shy, so I usually don't. I usually I don't like honestly these conferences where you go like network a bunch. Uh, it's just not my style. But I really do like Thrive. That's the only conference I've kind of been to several times. And I had a I chugged a lot of coffee that morning, I guess, and uh, and just sat sat next to you and like we started chatting and found out we had a ton in common. Uh, you know, you also lived in Shanghai, as I did. I live in Los Angeles, you live there. Uh, later we got drinks and found out we have the exact same birthday. Uh, both love entrepreneurship and kind of being the best versions of ourselves. And uh, it's been really cool to kind of keep in touch. And I also saw you in Miami a few months ago uh, when I was there to visit. And then you actually became a client of mine for my art business. Uh, we did a commission piece for you and your Awesome girl, Eliona. And then I'm going to be a future client of yours when I buy my luxury real estate uh, condo in Miami. Um, so that actually leads me to my first question uh, around real estate. Uh, the market's kind of you know crazy right now in September 2022. Uh, you know, I'm even reading that like people are getting like zero dollar down mortgages, and it's almost giving me like uh, you know inklings of 2008. So what's kind of your take on, you know, what's going on with real estate right now and, and what's happening in general? Yeah, man. Thanks. Thanks for asking, bro. And uh, yeah, it, it definitely was really great to meet you at that conference. Um, I remember when you told me what you did, I was like, all right, let's go. I'm in. I'm your client. <laughs> and then uh, and then you made that piece for me. So that was really cool, man. Thank you so much. Um, the, the real estate market, it behaves a little bit differently here in Miami uh, than it does in the rest of the U.S., 
So um, I can speak for the marketing context of what we're seeing here. Um, you know, we've performed really well in terms of population growth in the last few years. Uh, we have all the Northeast people moving here. Um, of course, those are cities like New York, Chicago, uh, North Carolina. These have been always feeder markets to South Florida. But uh, this year, what we started seeing was people from the West Coast also coming here. So San Francisco, California. Um, we are starting to see a slowdown in terms of showing activity here in Miami. And a lot of it is due to a lot of fear and uncertainty that's happening in the market, which is understandable. Um, in my opinion, it's really more of a normalization of the market as opposed to big scares and, um, you know, markets like doomsday markets going to crash type scenario. I think that the market has been rocket fueled in the last year and a half and it needed to, it needed to slow down a little bit. Um, any markets going at that rate is just completely unhealthy for every single market. So that's kind of what we're seeing right now. Uh, moving forward, um, here in Miami right now is the slow season, which means during the summer season where most people go back to the Northeast or most Northeasterners go back. And then uh, people from California also go back during the holidays, spend time with their family. And when it comes to November, the market's going to pick up again because we're going to swing right back into high season. So I think that we're having a little bit of a slowdown right now, at least here in Miami. But in about two months, uh, we're going to start getting a lot of traffic back. And I think the biggest indicator is going to come when it hits around May or June of next year again. That's when our market starts to slow. And we'll really start to see how many people, what's the percentage of people that really got affected by the pandemic. Um, there's a lot of pent up um, cash reserves from a lot of people that they were going through spending after this pandemic season. And now I believe that the spending is starting to slow down because people are starting to feel it in their pockets. So I think it's gonna be a really interesting year coming up. I don't have a crystal ball, but I remain pretty optimistic on the market myself, so. Do, do you think there's a, so you mostly deal with like luxury real estate, you know, I, I've seen uh, the type of properties that you showcase and sell, you know, multi-million dollar, just like beautiful, you know, penthouses. Uh, do you think there's a bit, big difference between kind of that market, that clientele, the way they manage their cash? You know, you mentioned like reserves and the way they use it versus kind of maybe the larger population. Um, or again, you know, I mentioned earlier, like those zero, you know, dollars down. And I think Bank of America is doing, you know, uh, well, one of the banks, uh, you know, doing a lot of things to kind of uh, help people buy more properties, but do you think there's kind of a big difference in those markets? And if so, you know, what does that look like in your experience? Yeah. In, in the last year, we have seen a big difference because of the market being so hot. A lot of people would come in and just sort of purchase the property in cash. They wouldn't necessarily, what I'm seeing in the high end is they wouldn't necessarily go and get an actual mortgage as much as they would leverage their current stock portfolio or current other investments to give them a loan on the backside. Um, so that they could buy the property completely with cash. And that's kind of what we've been seeing. But most of the most of the people I've met in the high net worth, they are really looking for what they want as opposed to what they need. So if they want something that's on the beach, that's uh, non-negotiable, well, then that's the product that they're going to want to find. Most of them um, is a little bit less affected with what's happening in the market because a lot of people remain very bullish on uh, Miami as a city, 
and and Florida as a state as a whole. Um, but I do think there are differences between the two different markets. Yeah. Uh, why do you think Miami's become such a hotspot now, not only for people, you know, moving, especially in tech and like Web3, uh, but just in general, I think we're seeing kind of a huge surge of people, perhaps also, for, you know, for political reasons, uh, you know, and taxes. But why, why do you think Miami specifically is such a, you know, hotspot right now for people moving, uh, you know, and also just buying real estate and kind of, you know, setting up shop there? Yeah, Miami has been sort of like the the child when it comes to all of the other major cities, right? So they say New York is like the uh, the grandparents, Los Angeles is like the parents, and Miami is like the children. <laughs> so Miami is a city that's really uh, really just up and coming in the last probably ten to fifteen years. Um, and uh, what what happens is. Our state is, is uh, at least for this year, our state has a lot of, uh, basically there's no state income taxes. And what that means is that for a lot of the companies that are coming down here, and these are people that, that have money, so people that own multi-million dollar businesses, when they relocate down to Florida, they don't pay state income tax. They can save on average anywhere from 20 to 30% from their company revenues each year. And what happens is a lot of the people that come down here they can pay for and they get more for their money when it comes to the uh, looking for properties um and uh they also get to get to experience the fact that if they're saving 30 percent on their taxes um it's basically paying for them to move down here so they're making more money they're getting a better place at a lower price as it was a year ago now we're now our rental market is pretty on par with los angeles i i you know um so uh, so, so from what I'm seeing, a lot of it is because of the tax, uh, the tax deductions. There's no state income tax. Also, the climate, uh, mixed with the fact that during the pandemic, a lot of people started realizing that they could work remotely. So, why not come to a place where they can save some money while living somewhere with ocean views, and um, still great weather here, uh, while getting all of the tax deductions? You know, so that that's been a very big draw. Yeah, and it's honestly a beautiful place to be, like you said as well. Uh, you know, you got the ocean, and uh, it's incredibly diverse, not only with the population, but you know the type of you know food you eat and the different cultures. Uh, so I think it's appealing to like a, a very wide range of people as well, uh, which is super interesting. Um, although I think hurricane season is no fun uh, sometimes, but uh, you know, I guess people get used to that, huh? Well, her, during hurricane seasons, they usually give a seven-day head notice. So most people, if they need to leave, they have time to leave. Uh, so that's one thing that is easy for a lot of the people. Yeah, they go visit their relatives yeah. up in the Northeast or take a vacation out to California. You know, things like that. Yeah. All right. So, Elliot, I want to ask you kind of a, uh, I think, more like you know, personal, deeper question. Uh, what What is the hardest thing you've ever been through in your life? Uh, so far, whether it's, you know, something in your career or uh, maybe some, something like physical that's happened to you um, and kind of describe that moment and how you overcame it. Yeah. So the most difficult moment in my life has is when I had my spine surgery. This happened about 11, 12 years ago, right before I got my real estate license. And that surgery and that incident is actually what kind of propelled me to want to dive 
deeper into real estate um, as a whole. And uh, what basically what happened is I found out within a matter of days that I had a curved spine. And I went to the doctors and the doctor measured my spine on a protractor, which came out to about 55 degrees. So just kind of imagine on a, on a protractor, that kind of curve. Um, and they told me I had critical condition and I had to have surgery right away. Um, I couldn't make that decision to have the surgery because at the time it was a high risk type of surgery. It was about uh, a 50% chance of success and 50% chance of failure. But the failure meaning is not only say death, for example, right? Like could also mean you're paralyzed or one of your nerve endings, uh, one of your nerves got, um, you know, killed up, you know, uh, one of your nerve endings got shot or something. So, um, so I couldn't make that decision, uh, about two years later, we finally made the de decision to have that surgery. And the reason that is, is because, um, they came out with a new technology that basically brought my chances up to 80%, um, rate of success. So I made the decision to go in on the surgery. Long story short, the surgery took a total of six hours for just the surgery, the operation. Uh, they gave me 23 titanium screws and two titanium rods that basically fused together with, with my spine um, I, without getting too deep into it. But, uh, but the surgery was six hours. The total recovery for me was about a year and a half and I was hospitalized for two and a half weeks. Um, and that kind of made a huge impact in my life because when I went back to, when I went back to university, my, my, my perception just changed. I wanted to do something that, um, you know, I wanted to kind of get off my ass and just, and just find something and, and kind of start building, building my career, you know? So that, that was a huge impact. Uh, is that what kind of like shifted your perspective and then got you on this like trajectory to really, you know, find your, you know, purpose and, you know, dive full on into real estate? Uh, was it because of like that type of realization, um, that allowed yeah, you to, it, to do that? Yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, you know, when, when you first go to, go to school, you meet with your friends, you hang out with them, you have fun with them, right? You, you go out, have dinners, drink some beers, you know, um, or, or you just kind of go out with them. Um, and that's all fun and games. But after the surgery, when I went back, I just couldn't help to realize that it was, it was it, not a waste of time in terms of being with my friends, uh, because that's never a waste of time, but more a waste of time as in what am I doing with my life? So that kind of propelled me to make the decision to, um, to kind of just jump in and we'll figure everything out from there. And, uh, when I noticed that there was a need with university students and protecting their security deposits, um, I thought that it would be something that I can do to kind of help out in, in that regard, you know, while getting compensated for it, of course, but, uh, just to help them teach them how to protect their security deposits and, and things like that. So, um, you know, uh, we always, we always take, you know, we, we wake up every day. We, we don't realize we're taking it for granted that we can even walk. You know, when I had my surgery, I couldn't get out of my bed for three days. And I realized that just to get up and be able to walk something so simple, like as cliche as it sounds, Chris, 
it really is a, um, it's a blessing, you know, it sounds crazy, but when you're in the hospital, the way I was, you start realizing, man, that's, that's really what's important, you know? <laughs> no, see, I, I love that, that you, yeah. I love that you mentioned that, uh, because I think, you know, when we're healthy and like, well, uh, you know, we, I, I often see people get frustrated with things that I, you know, are often like trivial or are not like really like big deals. But when you're like sick or there's something majorly wrong with you, uh, you know, especially like physically or like even disease or like some type of trauma, it makes you realize that, wow, you really need to be thankful for like, you know, what you do have, uh, you know, the body that houses you, your mind, um, your soul, everything else, and really like take each day with appreciation that you have these things. Cause any part of like you, uh, again, either like physically or with your family or people you love, like could really be taken away from you, including your own life, to be honest. Uh, so I think having that like deep realization and like feeling it is like really important. And it sounds like you had that, uh, experience, which yeah, really put you on a path to want to like help others take your life more seriously and build something of meaning uh, and value, which, you know, I feel like you've done. Uh, so that's really cool. I love that you shared that. Um, so I want to take a little bit more, uh, on, on kind of a, a, a positive note and what's, and I want to ask you, what's the happiest you've ever been in your life? Uh, and kind of describe like that moment and that feeling and what happened. My happiest moment would have to be the day that I booked the ticket with my wife to, to go to Italy. Well, of course, of course, marrying her is my happiest moment, but, um, you know, we, we worked uh, at one point, we were both, uh, working for, to, to pay our bills, you know, and we've been able to create this life after, after these years, um, that we can actually take time off, go on a huge trip and really spend a lot of time enjoying it, uh, and fully disconnecting. And, um, and that was, that was a huge milestone for the both of us because, uh, we, because we, we built it for all these years, you know? I don't know if that's maybe the right thing for me to say or, uh, <laughs> you know, but that was definitely one of my happiest, um, moments, uh, knowing that I could provide that kind of life, you know, I think that's pretty awesome. I don't know if that like kind of makes sense or. Dude, th there's no, uh, right or wrong answers here. Um, I, I do want to, uh, so, so, you know, you can kind of commission, uh, you know, me to do this life story of you and, uh, Aliona, you know, your wife, uh, and kind of your, your love life journey together. Um, that's what we, we specialize in doing kind of like life stories, either of individuals or like couples. And I remember you telling me your guys, story. And one of the things that stood out to me was how you both met at a point where, uh, I wouldn't say you're both were like struggling, but you know, I remember one story you said that I think you guys would go into Walmart and, and hopefully it's okay that I'm sharing this, um, that I think you, you would like maybe take like a pizza or something from the frozen section. And, uh, and, and it was like hard to get by honestly, but both of you like loved each other and stuck with each other. And, you know, there's no kind of like judgment on, on either way. And. Uh, I finally got to meet her, you know, in, in, um, March or April when I saw you in Miami 
And you guys are just like the most lovely like couple ever. And I think seeing you both like learning about your story and growing together, it totally makes sense that that's one of the happiest moments for you because I feel like, uh, and again, I'm kind of telling your story like for you now, um, you can kind of correct me if, you know, if I'm wrong, but uh, I think going through those hard times together and then just having like that moment where like, oh my God, we're able to go to like Italy and like experience all these things uh, together and just having almost like that, like relief after working like so hard and sticking with each other for so long to get to that point. Uh, would you say that's kind of like one of the reasons why like that moment was like so special for you? Yeah, yeah. It's it's not so much that, oh man, we got to book a trip to Italy. I got to see the Coliseum. You know, it's it's, it's that uh, it's that we've just been both building for, for so long. And to, to get to this point, it's, um, it's big for, for sort of the both of us now that we can just take time off whenever we want to um, having that sort of freedom has been, has been, uh, a great experience and sort of life-changing for us. Uh, and this is always something that I wanted to provide for her too, you know, a life where she can design by, she can, she can create by, by whatever she wants to design, not held back to any kind of restriction or society restrictions, uh, in terms of needing to make money, having a job and all that. And ultimately, I think that's what all of us are sort of um, building in this life for, right? Absolutely. Um, so a lot of uh, people, uh, especially kind of business people I've seen, or just people in general, you know, uh, in the age of social media, like to share all their wins and uh, you'll make their life seem super positive and polished up and there's not like nothing wrong. Uh, so I, I wanted to ask you uh, a little bit, uh, or ask you a question that's a little bit of counter to that, which is, is there a moment in your life you can think of that you really messed up? Um, and if so, what did you do to kind of like own that? And how did you respond to, uh, you know, potentially fixing that mess up, uh, if you did? Yeah. So, um, so I remember particularly this one time when, uh, I was, I was on the phone with my brother and, uh, and, and we had an argument. Um, and I definitely think that my argument came out much stronger than his argument. Uh, <laughs> you know, but, uh, but at the end of the day, I, I sort of realized that, uh, either way I, I sort of lost, right. Because he got to a point where he kind of shut me out. Uh, and didn't really tell me, didn't communicate with me much. And that affected me a lot because, um, because for a few years we kind of drifted apart. And, um, and then, you know, one of the things I, I always tell myself is like, uh, you can, you have a friend here, have a friend there, but that family is just that one. Right. So, uh, for me, that was one of the difficulties. Um, but we were able to kind of rekindle after a few years, of course it was a few years left uh, lost, but, um, I came to realize that like, um, none of these things are worth the relationships that you have with your family. Right. That's like, to me, that's kind of like the most, the most important, um, relationship that you can have, uh, it, with your family. So re you realize after a while that anything that you are arguing about is like almost dumb shit anyway, you know? So <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I think a lot of us, 
you know, try and be right all the time. And we're always, you know, if there's ever like disagreement or some type of conflict, you know, the, the pursuit of like being the correct one, uh, I think, you know, versus like maybe listening with like intent, you know, acknowledging that maybe even if you don't disagree with the other, you know, person, or, or sorry, if you do disagree with the other person, um, you know, realizing that it's maybe just different perspectives, right? Uh, versus like being right or wrong. And uh, yeah, I have a brother as well. You know, uh, he's he's very different than me. And, you know, sometimes we'll like butt heads too. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm glad though that you kind of got to like rekindle that and uh, and yeah, figure out it's, it's just not worth it to kind of like have that resentment yeah. build up over time, right? Uh, yeah. So, all right, another left field question here for you, Elliot. Uh, what is the best investment you've made of a hundred dollars or less? And this can be like a physical item. This can be maybe, uh, I don't know, a stock investment. It can be whatever it is. What's something that you've spent a hundred dollars or less on that you, uh, to this day are like, wow, that was like a really smart way for me to invest that money. Um, that's a really good question. Last time that I had spent a hundred dollars that paid me back much more. Um, I, uh, I paid, I played a game with my cousin. It was a, it was a stupid bet. It wasn't for a hundred. It was for like 50 bucks. And, um, and, um, I wanted her to tell me something uh, about these uh, credit cards that I've been that I've been asking her uh, because she's like an expert in this and uh, and she and she wouldn't tell me. So finally, when when we lost when I lost uh, well, um, when, when we made the bet, um, I got lucky and I won. And I said that you know I'll, I'll give you this fifty, but I also want to know what you were trying to tell me about these damn credit cards that that for some reason she just didn't tell me. Uh, and then she taught me about, um, she taught me about 0% interest credit cards. And, um, I didn't know those existed at all. And, uh, if you, if you really think about it, a 0% interest credit card basically is somebody giving you free money. If you understand that within that time period that it expires, you could pay all of it back. And so when she had told me about this, um, I kind of had this aha moment and that's kind of that's what helped me begin to actually even scale my company. Um, so I would probably say that was prob probably the best $50 I've spent <laughs> so far. That's a really good one, actually. Because uh, when most people answer this question, it's usually, yeah, like a, a physical like item that they bought. Uh, but this is like essentially you getting, receiving knowledge that can help you, you know, amplify that uh, return on the $50 yeah. that you got. Uh, now you have to tell me though, what, what credit card was it that, um, and I think there's probably several, but what was, what was kind of the one that you leveraged? So, um, so when I, I that, that was basically when I learned the difference between good debt and bad debt, right? That was kind of like the aha moment for me is like, Oh, there's good debt that you can use and it can, it can help you get your, bring your business to another level. Um, and then there's the bad debt where you, you know, get a loan and spend it on a new brand new GTS Porsche 911, you know? Um, 
And uh, so, um, yeah, man. Um, so, so, so would you say uh, with with like bad debt versus good debt, you know, especially in real estate, you know, you, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you're, you're getting like a loan, right? And then essentially investing that typically maybe in properties or something where it builds up your, your assets, um, which, you know, kind of builds up your, let's say net worth or your asset bank. And then you're able to like, leverage the amount of those assets to get other loans. And then essentially you obviously have to be smart in that you're getting returns on those assets. You know, people like to say it's like, you know, passive income or whatever it is, but you kind of build from that, right? Again, versus a right. bad debt, which may be, uh, honestly, like I think these days, like student loans, you know, cause you're, uh, a lot of people aren't getting that same return. You know, that's just my opinion. Yeah. Um, yeah. When you go into these kind of, old institutions that the, the piece of paper for, for diploma doesn't mean what it means today, what it used to, but could you just uh, quickly explain kind of the difference between good debt and bad debt? Am I kind of uh, getting that right? That's how you would leverage it? Yes. So, so good debt basically is something that you invest into that, that is an asset. The asset pays you so that you could pay off the debt. That's why it's good debt because you're using it to further your ambition or further your, your goal, whatever it may be. Um, you know, and, and, uh, that's sort of, that's sort of the way that I see it. If you, if you know that on the back end, you're confident about, um, a marketing strategy and that you can make a return of it and you know that you could pay it back, then it's sort of a no brainer to use it. Of course, the caveat is if you're going to embark on any kind of a marketing journey or just make sure you do your due diligence, uh, because if you don't make that back, I mean, it's, it's sort of a safeguard in a way, right? Like it's, it's basically the bank telling you, I'll lend you this money, but you just have to make sure you pay me back. So, so the safeguard is basically, if you're so confident in the product, then you'll basically know that you could pay it back. Right. And if you don't have that kind of confidence in that kind of product, you probably shouldn't be using that and leveraging it in the first place. And that kind of brings me to the sec second topic. They say that there's a huge truth to the fact that over 90, 95% of millionaires become so through owning real estate. And that's a very real statistic and it's a real metric for one big reason that most pop, most people don't really maybe truly understand, which is the power of leverage, right? Where else can you purchase a product worth say a hundred thousand and only have to pay down 20% of that to own a hundred percent of the entire asset, right? So that sort of leverage, double dips into the same conversation we were speaking about with the credit cards being 0%. It's all about leveraging, um, leveraging your time, leveraging your, your, the smartest use of your dollars. And, um, and, uh, essentially that's exactly why real estate is so powerful. You have the leverage of owning an asset at a, at a certain price, but getting the rent based off of the entire price of the asset, as opposed to only 20%. And also the fact that you have, uh, tax leveraging, uh, you have leveraging of the market appreciation as a whole, uh, and you also have leverage on the on the cash flow. So, if you're paying something that's twenty percent of something worth a hundred, say for example an iPhone, you're paying twenty percent for an iPhone. It's not like you can lend your iPhone out to somebody, or or you probably could, but I don't know if there's a market for that. And then you can you can charge other people rent that pays off that phone. So essentially, you you're not even paying for that asset. A lot of people look at mortgage as a as a uh, as a debt, 
um, really it's, it's some, a lot of times I like to, to say that mortgage is equity gained on your property because yes, there's an interest that you pay to the bank, but that interest comes in a form of leverage that you get to use instead of paying a hundred grand into one product, you can split up and spend tw five, 20,000 on, on maybe five different properties. Then right there, you can own five times the amount that you would have, if you wouldn't be able to leverage. So a lot of it really is just um, in, in the math itself, that is the reason why real estate is, is really so powerful. Um, and Chris, another thing I really want to point out is we're starting to get a lot of institutional investors, big hedge funds, the Citadels, the Blackstones, they're buying up U.S. neighborhood, residential neighborhoods, right? And in 2020, in this year, hedge funds account for about 15% of all single family purchases, right? They've been scooping up single family homes, but this year, why are they so much more aggressive? Because they're starting to now look at single family homes as asset classes. That was never usually the case. Um, so as it continues to go on, younger generations like us, the millennial generations and anything younger, will have a more and more difficult time entering into this sort of basic market of home ownership, which is the, the starting path to financial freedom, right? To living the American dream. A lot of it starts with, with real estate uh, because of the power of the leverage. What happens if the institutional investors continue to purchase 20, 30, 40% of, of these markets, it takes away a lot of the opportunity from, uh, from younger generations. And this financial freedom, this American dream is slowly just being chiseled uh, by institutional investors. Um, I believe that for our generation and people younger, it's very important to be able to have that path to financial freedom. Um, and a lot of it starts by simply just owning a home, you know, so. Um, great point. So how would you, which you did touch on this a little bit, but how could you know, you know, our generation, uh, millennials, and even like Gen Z, start to think about you know building that wealth through real estate. Uh, you know, so for me, I, I've yeah. seen kind of one way to really start. You know, um, I guess acquiring more like money and wealth is is through service because it's really you don't have to like buy you know a warehouse to like produce a product or you know like like you used to kind of traditionally back in the day for business. You can essentially provide a service, especially online, where you just need like a laptop and like a phone, uh, where it's something that you either uh, can become an expert on or something unique to you that you've experienced, that you can share the knowledge of, and then provide that as a service, similar to what you did with you know the college students. Um, you know, that's high margin. It brings in, and then once you've kind of built up enough, be able to like invest that. So what would you say with someone who's like built up maybe a little bit of a reserve? Uh, would you say it's like multifamily, you know, units, like kind of uh, apartment blocks? Uh, is it like single family homes? Like what's kind of the smartest approach to take as like a first investment in a property for people in this position? Yeah, yeah. So I, I run a wealth building class for, for some of my clients. Uh, a lot of them are younger who really want to learn how to build a portfolio. And one of the things that I, that, that we always touch on is, is the fact that, you know, um, if you have a little bit of uh, money, that's, that's your earned income, that's the path of getting rich. Right. And, and th that's the way that I kind of look at it. The other path is the path to wealth. 
my opinion, uh, the way I see it is wealth, being wealthy is being able to make money while you're sleeping, right? So there's active wealth and there's passive wealth. Um, and if you can essentially do that, uh, you can basically get the key to unlocking financial freedom. But it all starts with having that one single asset. I would recommend anybody who has uh, some earned income, uh, especially in the beginning, it's very key to know how you can um, balance out your expenses and your and, and how much you spend every month. That way you can start getting some surplus saving. Once you have enough to purchase a property, I would do so as soon as possible. There are a lot of people who are very young, very, very successful. And I wish I could have told myself 10 years earlier um, to get into real estate investing 10 years earlier. Because if you get into it 10 years earlier, you have 10 years on top of everybody else or 20 years on top of everybody else. You know, um, so so that is one thing that I that I uh, always try to tell them. So, so really the best time to invest in real estate is uh, yesterday, right? Well, sure. Really, if you invest into real estate, it's not a cost of buying something that you're that you're using, right? It's not like a PlayStation or, or you know, like a like a car, right? You're you're purchasing that purchasing that property. Your name is attached to that property, so you're really transferring money from your bank account to another source of bank account that can give you so much more leverage and so much more return, and so much more appreciation. Um, so one of the things that I tell a lot of my clients is, you know, now we can get really bogged down by so much information like Instagram or TikTok and all these videos of, uh, Burr methods and investing in multifamily and, um, and, and all these things, because that's what, what the hype is. Uh, and in truth, it, what I usually tell my clients is it depends on who the person is, you know? Some, some people might have really good cash flow. They got a really great job. There's nothing wrong with having a really great corporate jobs uh, that give you great benefits, right? Maybe they're making a lot of cash flow, but they maybe need an asset that can get them more appreciation over time, as opposed to person number two who says, you know what? Uh, I'd like to be a little bit more hands-on. I can deal with the renovations. I can deal with the headaches, finding the contractors, making sure which one is not, um, is going to give me a fair bid. How do I make sure that they get on, get back to the project on time? Uh, and, and there are a lot of things that kind of go into it. So a lot of my clients who always watch the videos and they only want to do the Burr model, um, sometimes I ask them, yes, does Burr fit you as the person? Are you somebody who is willing to take up all the headaches of the renovations? If you are, then by all means, go ahead, right? Go ahead with the renovations and, and you'll, you'll learn a lot. You'll build a lot of value. But maybe there are some people who are so busy in their work and they just want to have an asset that they could park their money in that makes them some cash flow, makes them this over time. And then you have the other type of um, a client who will tell me, I don't care about the asset. All I care is, uh, about is the income and how much how much I can get from it, right? All, all I care about is the numbers. So uh, what I always tell people is, not one size fits all. There's not one investment strategy that fits the other person. Everybody has their own way of making money. And if this strategy is, is what you're comfortable with, uh, run with it because you will have the most longevity in that particular sense of um, comfort space. Uh, there's, there's a lot to learn in real estate, but um, do, it in a, do it in a pace that makes sense for you so that you're not overstretching yourself or you're not going too thin. And if you're somebody that 
is up for the challenge, um, then jump into something that needs a lot more hands-on service, right? Uh, it all depends on the individual and who that person is. That's really the most important. Yeah. I'm so glad you, you framed it like that. Cause I think, uh, you know, online, especially we tend to see, you know, you mentioned like TikTok and a lot of social media where we see people have like these success stories or they, or they tell you like, Hey, you have to like invest this way, or this is what I did to like acquire wealth. And then people think that's like, you know, one of the few or only paths like they can take to get there, but it's really, you have to know yourself. You have to be incredibly self-aware with what you are passionate about, like your skills, your perceptions of the world, your shortcomings too. Like, what are you not good at? What do you not enjoy doing? What should you not pursue? Um, and then essentially figuring that out. And from there, kind of developing this path to figure out what is the best thing for you, your soul, your character, what you're good at, the skills that you've built, and then, you know, build from that. So I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up because that's a big, honestly, theme for this podcast is just figuring out what it is that works for you. Um, and you saying that that's the most important thing, uh, I think is such a good point. Um, and I, and I really love that you brought that up. Um, so, uh, okay. I want to ask you, uh, something interesting. What, what is something that, uh, because we all have these individual journeys and I think, uh, a big part of that is again, just emphasizing that there's things that, you know, uh, you'll love or be drawn to. Um, and there's things that, you know, you won't like, uh, that maybe other people might like, or so what is something that you when you first like saw it or experienced it or uh, or bought it that you first hated but then later you actually like really fell in love with it this could be like a relationship too maybe what is something that you've like at first you're like ah i, I really don't like this does this doesn't fit like me who i am but then later you're you know that shifted that really changed and you ended up really loving it or really benefited you uh, would you, what would be kind of a moment that describes like that type of experience for you? Um, well, you're asking really great questions, Chris. Next time I have to like take out a notepad, write it down, think about it for a few days before I jump on the podcast. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, we, we got this hotel room when we traveled uh, out to out to Italy not too long ago, and I I don't mean to keep bringing it up, but um, but this specific example kind of falls down right right there in in the bucket. So, uh, we got this hotel room, and um, it was supposed to have like the best view of the Amalfi Coast and and all this stuff. And so, when we got to the hotel, you know, it wasn't it wasn't super lavish. It wasn't like crazy marble everywhere and flashy and things like that. Uh, it was a very sort of Italian and you go inside and you see these little, little tiles on the floor, just like, uh, sort of like, um, uh, my, my, my Italian friend's grandma's house, right? Something like that. And, um, everything, everything you see is kind of just, okay, it's, it's normal. It's nice. And it was at night. We didn't really see much of the view. And when, when I got in there, I thought it was, you know, it's, it's okay. It's not, not the price I paid okay, but you know, it's, it's whatever at this point. And, uh, and over the course of four days, uh, I remember going back to it and just starting to like that energy more and more. Uh, and by the fourth day, it was something that I just like, I didn't want to leave. And it's incredible how some, 
some properties can give you that type of sense, that type of feeling uh, when you when you first go into it, and then and then after you stay there for a few times, it it starts to grow on you. And then you have the other side of that spectrum where you have the buildings you go in at first, you're like, wow, that's this is amazing, right? And then after a few days, you're kind of like, eh, all right, cool, whatever, you know. Um, so that was definitely something that I, I really took notice, and and I'm and that really also builds a lot of intrinsic value in uh, uh, property values and, and prices. Having the sense of pride of knowing how much your property is worth or what good of a product you have um, speaks volume because when people go off to reselling the property, they're all thinking the same way you are and everybody's less likely to compete with each other in, 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 um, in, in pricing. So that's, uh, that's one thing that I've actually picked up on um, fairly recently and I've come to really enjoy that aspect of the business. I love that. Thanks for, thanks for sharing that. So, uh, I, I have a couple kind of last questions for you. Uh, so along the similar lines of, of this last one, what is something that you at first really loved and, you know, thought it was incredible, but then later turned out to be maybe not quite what you expected. Um, and I, I won't go so far as to say, maybe you hated that thing. Like maybe you did, but, uh, something where at first you were like very enamored by it, but then later kind of like shifted. Yeah. So I would probably say that chops up to about 60, 70% of the real estate here in Miami, <laughs> you know, you go into something at first, it's like, wow, this is so cool. Wow. The building looks great. The inside looks kind of cool. And then after like two or three days, you're kind of just like, you know, this, this wasn't as cool as I thought it would be. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I actually remember, uh, so I, I bought my first house in 2000, what was it? Uh, 18 and, uh, honestly lovely home. And it had like all the fixings and like, you know, pool, jacuzzi and all that. And it was really nice. But after being there for a few months too, it just almost like, and like, again, like I think society kind of, uh, at least for me, I was kind of enamored with like, you know, I want this, like, big property and like waterfall with the pool and all that and like beautiful view. And at the end of the day, I really realized that it's what fills the home, like inside that really matters, you know? Um, and I, I kind of, uh, and I ended up selling the property actually for a little bit of a loss. It was a very, uh, tough time in my life, but, uh, I, it really made a note internally where it's like, I actually realized I don't want, a large property anymore. Uh, I, I kind of want to I, actually location is very important to me, probably one of the most important things like environment. Uh, but Same I would be idea. perfectly c content, like living somewhere that's like, you know, a bit smaller, uh, also, because it's a lot more manageable, like Elliot, like dealing with Easier like clean. pool cleaners and gardeners and like chopping down trees, yeah. and like all these property costs. I'm just like, yo, this is like a full time job. I just need to, you know, to like manage all this. And, um, you know, now I'm like renting again, I'm in a great like loft space, but it's like, I have people kind of do that for me. And for me, that's like worth it. Obviously it's different for everyone, but, uh, I think, yeah, that's, that's interesting. You mentioned that, especially with, you know, these luxury properties, um, and not saying that, uh, the type of properties you sell, I'm sure are, you know, very well vetted. And at the end of the day, it's really, you know, the decision of, of the buyer, uh, to buy like what's right for them. But, uh, I think it is an interesting point, like really 
think through deep down what you really want and what suits you. Again, going back to you personally, uh, what is it that really matches you and not what you think you know, you, you might want based on like what you've been encouraged by, by your friends, family, society, people like you aspire to even. Um, so just, just really think about what it is for you. And, and, I, and I'm really glad I realized that. So I don't kind of, you know, go through that, that trap again, uh, in some senses. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, a uh, you, you, you'll be really surprised, man, because there's a lot of, there are a lot of even high end buildings here that when you walk into, you just, you're just shocked because you don't understand how something can be so expensive, but it's just not up to par. You'll be surprised, man. You know? So I, I really, really, everything that I do, I just kind of, I, I watch out for people's backs. You know, I don't really force a sale down their throat or anything like that. I know when is something that they, they really want. And I know also, you know, in my point of view, um, we have to bring some kind of value to our clients, right? And what is the value if we're just going to bring them there to see a home and they purchase something? Um, where's the actual value that we give to our customers? So when it comes to these uh, pre-construction, which is what I specialize in, the sale process really differentiates than the uh, regular resale market. So um, a lot of the things that people don't know can end up hurting them and not all properties make money, you know? So I, I kind of just try to look out for their backs. I tell them how it is and I help them make an informed decision. I tell them to watch out for things that, that we've seen in our, all of our years working in the pre-construction industry, uh, to basically help them make, um, make a good financial decision. You know, it's easy for people to walk into a sales center, nice AC, you know, you have people bringing you food, you have nice music, you have beautiful pictures and you have, you know, the, the videos and, and movies and this promise of this whole oasis or lifestyle, you know, and it's easy for people to get sucked into that. Uh, but that's the process of how developers or builders, that's how they sell. Right. So the, the key point is to understand that it's, it is still a sales process and what you don't know in that transaction can end up hurting you. So in terms of dealing with new construction, I always recommend for buyers, even on the buyer side to have, um, an experienced real estate agent on their side, because they, they absolutely can bring a lot of value. Um, it is also true that there's a lot of bad eggs out there. Uh, our business really is, there's a statistic. I'll, I'll just tell you real quick, Chris is, is that in the real estate business, there's an 80 and 20 rule pretty, there's a rule to that to almost everything in life, right? But the 80, 20 rule basically states that 80% of the total real estate revenue is made by only 20% of all realtors, right? So statistically speaking, you'd have to maybe interview 10 realtors to find two of them that, that are qualified. Most people, they probably use their families, um, you know, like their cousins and friends and family to help them in their transaction, which is great. Uh, which is fine. I, I understand it, but you really want somebody that knows what they're doing because it's, it, it's a large purchase. And a lot of the times it's somebody's largest asset they will ever purchase. And when you think about it, that's a, that's a, that's a really big word, right? This is the largest asset you're ever going to purchase. That's not something that should be taken care of, you know, without any seriousness to it. Right. So 
uh, it's a big asset. It's a big decision, but um, it also brings you a lot of financial stability going through it. So I definitely believe in, in the entire real estate industry as a whole, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you, your track record speaks for itself, too. Uh, you know, I, I've seen, uh, yeah, the, the sales you've done and, you know, even just like the the reviews and the feedback, you know, there's someone like your LinkedIn. Um, and, and yeah, I think yeah. real estate can be complex, too, especially with like the contracts. And I remember going through that whole experience. Uh, the huge benefit of having an agent was really to help you. Uh, yeah, navigate the contracts, make sure you're not getting screwed, like having you, you know, the client's best interest in mind as well, uh, instead of, you know, just getting the sale and trying to make like a commission. Um, so I, I'm really glad you brought the 80-20 rule up. I think it's called like Pareto's principle. Uh, and I've seen that play out in so many other areas of life too, especially in business in terms of like typically 20% of the input De, you know, derives like 80% of the output. So, and it's really finding right. leverage points, right? So if a business, whether it's like services that you're offering, like usually, you know, the 20% uh, of the services you offer yield like 80% of like the income, or maybe it's like 20% of like, you know, your staff are really producing 80% of the results. It's usually concentrated in one certain area. And I really feel that's interesting because you can then always, continue on that path of finding the 20% of the 20% of the 20% where you're really optimizing for like the maximum output. Uh, I think that's true in the way like governments and countries are run where, you know, unfortunately, and fortunately in some, uh, you know, circumstances, you have like 20% of the population that's really yielding 80% of like the output of GDP. Uh, and it was, it was really interesting when I kind of started looking at life a little bit like that. Uh, even with like your everyday life, uh, you know, hey, if I'm spending, I don't know, 20% of my energy and effort to like be healthy and work out and be mentally, you know, the best I can be, what is the 80% that's yielded from that to really be the best person like I can be? Uh, so I, I love how you applied that, you know, to real estate too. And it's a really great way, I think, of like looking at life. Um, well, I really think, as well. you, you, I really think it's more like 90-10 in our industry as opposed to the 80, mm. 80 and 20, you know? Um, so it's, I think if people are careful who they work with, they can work with a broker that can definitely bring them a ton of value. And it's not just that, it's building building wealth and knowing how to negotiate against the other side amicably, amicably you know? Um, and uh, ultimately knowing who, ha having a good team is also important. So when you enter, when you enter contract to purchase a home, you have to go through inspections. You have to go through appraisals. If you're getting a mortgage, you have to go through title work and you have to make sure that all of these steps are done properly. So how do you know that the attorney that you have isn't going to overcharge you? How do you know that that attorney is really protecting your best interests? Right. Um, do you have a inspection company? These inspection companies, are you seasoned working with them? Have you bought a lot of property to know that what they're looking at in their inspection report isn't going to cost you a whole bunch of headaches down the road, right? And um, as much as what people say what they want about real estate agents, but the truth is that real estate agents are in it every single day. They're going through many hundreds, if not thousands of different types of situations that happen within this 
home purchasing process. So even though people can purchase a home without them, they bring a ton of value and it can really save you from, uh, from, from big financial disasters moving down the line. Um, when you purchase a home that that's unforeseeable, right? So I don't think I've ever regretted investing in an expert that, you know, knows, actually, that's not true. Uh, I think when I've really done my due diligence and, uh, you know, found an expert that's really helped me, you know, and, and maybe it cost me like a little bit upfront, uh, to do that, but like really seeing and understanding, like, you know, what, uh, the, the benefit is to get back, whether it's like helping me navigate like contracts or like learning certain things, uh, it's really important. And I think, yeah, having someone, uh, who is an expert, you know, in real estate and sales knows the market knows, Hey, you should be like paying less for this or like more, uh, the legal side of it is so confusing. I think for so many people, um, you know, they'll try and put like on, on the other side, little things in the contract that you might not necessarily know, just reading through that legal language, but could be potentially disastrous later on. Uh, so uh, totally important to, I think, find the right people to like help you kind of navigate those things. Um, so I want to start, uh, kind of wrapping things up here. Uh, Elliot, you've lived like a really kind of cool, interesting, like life having, moved around different places, having, uh, you know, gone from, you know, struggling a little bit, uh, you know, at some points, uh, you know, having your like crazy back injury. Uh, and I know there's, you know, other areas of your life that we, we haven't spoke about too, um, which kind of, uh, you know, played a, a huge part in you becoming like who you are today. So uh, having gone through, you know, all those experiences, uh, also with your, you know, lovely wife as well and all the, you know, business people you've met and the relationships you've built. Uh, do you feel at this point in your life now that you've really kind of figured out what your larger purpose is? Um, and if so, you know, what would you say that is? Well, I, I, I learned my purpose after, after that spine surgery, right? And uh, I also learned that your purpose actually changes it can change throughout your life. Mm. And my purpose has changed in the last five, six years since I've married my, my wife. And that purpose now is to give her a life that is in, in my definition worth, uh, worth for her. Right. And maybe her definition is different than mine, but I, for me, I want to be able to provide something like that. I think I, I feel it is, it is my responsibility to, to have, to give her, my family, uh, and her, this, this kind of option. And, and, um, so, so that's really where, where I'm aligned, you know, I'm, I'm focused on just creating that for them. Um, and I think when, when you see it in a way, that's not really for your own benefit, but it impacts others. Uh, it makes it a little bit more makes, makes that a, a little bit more, you get more passionate <laughs> about wanting to create it, you know? So yeah, absolutely. Um, Elliot, any kind of last words of like wisdom that you want to give the viewers and listeners out there, uh, whether it's like, you know, in real estate or life or just anything that you kind of feel like you want to share as a uh, parting words, um, you know, from your heart. Yeah, I think, you know, I think your network is your net worth. And, um, I think it's great that you're doing this podcast, uh, for, for a lot of people, and I'm sure you're going to feature a lot of really cool people. 
um, on here. So I probably my last word of advice is to tune into to your episodes uh, because you know they they're giving off a ton of value for the listeners and um, for everybody to at least take take a look into this um, into the work that Chris does. Uh, it's it's pretty incredible. Mine's is kind of private, so I don't really like sharing it too much. <laughs> but, uh, but the but it's a very cool experience, man. So thanks so much for that. Yeah, thank you, dude. Um, last thing I'll say is one thing I, I really love about you is you know when I first texted you to do this, I, I was like, dude, I gotta like you know convince him to like come on, and you know he's a busy guy and uh, has a lot going on. And you just wrote back like very simply, like, dude, I just want to support you. Like, I'm just here to support you. And I think that yeah, speaks man. a lot to, you, to your character. Like you're, um, and even like, you know, as you commissioned the art piece and, and all that, you, you, you it's obviously clear you really want to give, you know, to others. Um, and I can like feel that. And I think that's really like important to me. So I just want to like relay that to you. Um, I do appreciate that. So, Thanks, uh, wh where can people find you on, you know, online, on social media, how can people reach you, um, or follow along? You've been posting a lot more content, you know, recently, I think, uh, so yeah, where, where can people hit you up? Yeah. So my Instagram handle is basically Elliot period Lee two underscores, or if you just type my name, um, with, with the period in between my first and last name, you'll, you'll find me on there. Um, and, uh, and, and thank you so much for featuring me on your podcast is I don't have a lot of experience with it. So I probably started a little bit today, but, uh, but, it, but it's been a, it's been a really fun experience, Chris. Yeah, absolutely. And it's Elliot with two L's and one T, right? Yeah. The best way to spell it. <laughs> for sure. All right, Elliot, thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate it. And, uh, thank you to all the listeners and viewers out there. Um, and we'll see you in the next episode. Bye. Thanks, Ben.